Hey gang, it's Jen here, hopping in with a quick language warning because we know some of you listen to this podcast with your kids and we wanted to let you know we did not edit out any cuss words in this one. So there are some F-bombs and other assorted colorful descriptions. We are so excited to have Sean Patrick Flannery on the show this week. We are talking about his movie, Born a Champion, and so much more. You're going to want to make sure you listen all the way through to the end for his on and off the mat tips. They're so good. Welcome to Beauty and the Gee, the podcast about jujitsu and life on and off the mat. I'm Jen Eads, a white belt full of curiosity and questions about all the things jujitsu. And I'm AJ Klingerman, a Brazilian jujitsu brown belt, still obsessed with jujitsu. My name is Sean. <laughs> uh, and I fell in love with jujitsu about 20 something years ago. Um, and I'm still in love with it to this day. And Absolutely. that is an understatement, a huge <laughs> understatement. That's why I'm always like, I'm obsessed with it. Like ob- obsessed is the best thing I can say. Yeah, absolutely. hundred um, percent. Yeah. And you're a third degree black belt, correct? Yes. Third degree. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think really you got your black belt just a couple months after James got hit. So I knew you guys were around the same time. So when, when did, uh, when did he get his October of 2007? Yeah. 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 I got mine May of 08. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really cool. Um, so for those of you that might not know, and I can't imagine that if you've heard me talk at all, you don't know. Um, but Sean put out a movie fairly recently called Born a Champion. And um, it was really cool to like watch that and see how jujitsu was really back then. I think it was very true to jujitsu and the jujitsu scene. So I liked that a lot. Would you tell us a little bit about like how you got into jujitsu to begin with? I, I've been a martial artist since I was nine years old. And, uh, you know, everybody has uh, their own story of, of how they got into martial arts. Most of them have to do with Bruce Lee stories. Uh, <laughs> mine, uh, I, my, my dad was a Golden Gloves boxer. So he, he, he always told me things about boxing and worked on, you know, just fundamentals of hands. But uh, one day I saw Elvis Presley doing Suspicious Minds on the Vegas stage. And he was doing, you know, we're caught in a trap. <laughs> and throwing these kicks with the jumpsuit. And I thought, and it, and, and it looked like a karate gear. I'm like, dad, is, is he, does he? And my dad knew, cause he was plugged in. He goes, yeah, you know, I think he studies uh, Kempo karate with the old man, Ed Parker. And uh, I said, man, I, if Elvis, I want to do that if Elvis does it. And, and so Elvis Presley got me into That's my awesome. first martial arts. And, and it, it was a McDojo. I mean, it was right next to a Piggly Wiggly, which if you're in the in the South, that's a kind of a hillbilly Kroger's or a Ralph's or a H-E-B. <laughs> it's a hillbilly, hillbilly version, but it's what I grew up with. And right next to a Piggly Wiggly, there was this, uh, you know, back then, you, back then, nobody knew the difference. I mean, if, 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 if you had a black belt in martial arts, you could kill like seven armies at once. Yeah, that, that's all we knew. What what is the black belt in? Everything was karate, whether it was Kung Fu, Jiu Jitsu, Judo, Aikido, Hapkido. It was all karate. So, you know, I, 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 I signed up for that next to the Piggly Wiggly with no education outside of, well, Elvis studied something in that suit. So I want to study that thing, too. 
And, uh, and that, that didn't last long because I quickly figured that this guy was a complete McDojo sensei. As a matter of fact, his name, no joke, was called, his name was Jimmy, Jimmy Dean. And uh, my granddaddy called him Sensei Sausage. I'm no, that's no <laughs> joke. He's the Jimmy Dean Sausage. He's like, he's like, yeah, I tell you, man, you know, your dad, uh, he's boxer. He'll, he'll kick the shit out of them old, you know, Sensei Sausage. Well, my granddaddy knew. And so anyway, that quickly translated into me changing academies and going to a serious martial arts school. Then uh, how I found jujitsu. I was in L.A. and uh, Hicks and Gracie had closed his Pico Academy. If anybody if anybody knows, you know, the way back when uh, the Pico Academy was one of the first jujitsu academies in L.A. Uh, Horian was teaching out of his garage. Um and Hickson was teaching out of a warehouse on Pico um, that, that combined with a karate school with a roll up door and mats kind of squished together. And he closed that to open us his first real academy. And he was renting out space at Jerry Banks, a, a karate studio in the Palisades. And uh, so I saw them putting mats down on hardwood floors. And I thought and I saw the patch on the pants of the gi. And this guy was walking around and I saw it said R-I-C-K-S-O-N and then a space and Gracie. Now, I didn't know who this Rickson dude was. Maybe he was a plumber <laughs> that was that was that was partnering with the great Hoist Gracie. But I knew that name. And I asked the guy, I said, are, are you guys is this uh, do you guys do jujitsu like Hoist Gracie jujitsu? He goes, yeah, you know, he's my brother. I was like, what? You're your brothers with the great Hoist Gracie. Inside. That's my internal <laughs> right, yeah. monologue. Yeah. You know, I had no idea who I was talking to. Right. Right. And, and, and I told him, I said, man, you know, I, in, in 93, and this was probably 99. And I said, you know, I saw what he did. UFC one, you know, November 11th, 1993, I believe was the date. And he go, I said, I've always wanted to train that, but this was really before the internet or, Maybe I was a late adopter. R really, I mean, th there was no, there was no smartphones. There was no, right. you know, there was certainly you couldn't Google BJJ in LA. You had to know somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody, and that's how it happened. I saw this gi, and there was no yellow page ad. There was no advert, and he he goes, well, "Hang on a second, man." And he came out with a gi, threw it, and goes, "Put the gi, man. Tonight you're gonna train." I said, "Really?" I said, "I I I, I said I've never I've never done." any jujitsu at all before. Is that okay? He said, yeah, my friend, come on, man. You're going to love this, man. Well, everybody knows how the story ends. And I'll just tell you this. I was doing triathlons at the time. Uh, I, I was sponsored. So I, I've been a competitive athlete since I was six years old. I was on my first football team when I was six. I, I was involved in four sports a year since I was six years old, competed at the highest level, went to the junior Olympics and track. And that's not me tooting my own horn. That's just to say that I was, I was cardiovascularly. I was at the top of my game, strength and conditioning. I've always been about the same weight. Um, I was an athlete and that first day and I competed in martial arts my whole life. And we did a little, uh, a little technical, really, really, truth be told, we didn't do much technique at all. We did a warm up and then it's like, okay, now we're going to do some spa, man. Pick some, somebody, same size, same shape. And I picked for any of you jujitsu nerds out there, uh, Henry Akins, mm -hmm. who uh, was uh, one of my first instructors. And I, I still consider him 
probably the most influential instructor who is still my instructor to this day. Um, and his little brother was there. Henry was a purple belt. His little brother, Matt Akins, uh, who, who, by the way, is 135 pounds soaking wet. And he had a blue belt on at the time. And I thought, let me pick this dude. Not because I was a bully, but I've heard so many mystical stories about this martial art. I thought, that's the first colored belt you get. If this right. dude gives me any trouble at all, holy shit, I will believe in this martial art. I was 170 pounds doing triathlons. I was strong. I was fit. I, I, I was a martial artist. Well, obviously, we know how the story ends. We clapped hands and he mauled me and he did it <laughs> repeatedly. He took my back and choked me. He mounted me. He wrist locked me. He ankle locked me. He kimoraed me. He did every conceivable submission and the, the clouds opened up and the truth was exposed in my martial arts world. I understood that of everything I've ever trained in my life, if I met this 135 pound dude that looks like he should be doing my accounting in right. an alley, he would leave with every <laughs> material possession I owned. And, you know, there's two types of people in the world. There's a type of person that says, well, you know, on the street, I would groin shot and I would eye gouge. And, and then there's a the type of person that's like, no, 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 no. There's nothing I can do to contest that. This dude, if he wanted something from me, would take it. Yeah. And I, I don't have the ability to sleep knowing that. I just don't. I, I'm, I'm not the type of dude that can go uh, and, and make up excuses that I know are just lies. And I signed up on the day. I was I was transformed like 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 uh, born again. I, I, I almost renounced everything I knew about martial arts. And since I was nine, I'd never missed a day training. And it, it reformatted my hard drive. And I signed up on the day for two days a week, two classes a week. That lasted one day. I came <laughs> back and I changed it to unlimited. I said, this is. This is a, a, a problem that I have to solve. I have to know this. I have to have this power over another mortal human being. What do I need to exchange for this knowledge? Because I will do it. And truth be told, even to the detriment of my professional career, I became overwhelmed with it. So addicted that I turned down jobs that I never should have turned down. I, I wanted to compete in the Pan Ams and I thought I'm going to turn, I'm going to stop working for a year to train and to compete in the Pan Ams. Just like stupid decisions. Now, from a professional aspect, you would think yeah, that's really dumb. Now I'm older. In hindsight, I don't regret one millisecond of my jujitsu journey. I don't I regret it at all. I can honestly say that, it, it, you know, IMDb is, is a website you go and you can tell like what movie somebody's done, uh, you know, not tooting a horn, but I've, there's 150 projects or, or some, I've been doing it a long time and I'm very grateful for my professional career. But there are a lot of those that are inconsequential to me. There's not one day of my jujitsu journey that is not incredibly valuable. I can tell you, Every I, I can I can remember almost every single not even almost every single submission Hickson hit on me what belt <laughs> I was I can tell you what the weather was like the first time he gave me my self defense blue stripe on my white belt I can tell you everything about those moments and I don't regret one day what that has given me is an 
exponentially more valuable than 90% of the projects that I've done in my professional career. And there's not a lot of my legacy that is contained on the IMDB page. But in my jujitsu legacy, that's where the majority is of the most valuable things that one day I'm going to have my kids open up and go, this is the box daddy left. 90% of it came from the mats. I was at a conference once with a lot of black belts and they were talking about like, would you take, you know, $500,000 in exchange for your black belt? Like all the memories that came with it, all of the experiences, all the friendships, would you take that amount of money? And everyone was like, no, they're like, would you take a million dollars? And everyone was like, no. And there was never a number. number. Yeah. Never a number that people would give up, you know, their experience with jujitsu for any dollar amount. And, and, you know, I can say this, there are movies that I would take that suitcase. Absolutely. I'm here to tell you a hundred percent. I'll give you the truth. There are a large amount of (laughs) movies that I would take that suitcase of cash. Yeah. Not, not a single belt. Would I do it? And that's not a lie. That's not bluster. That's the truth. Gun to the head. I would never take it. And there's not a number $500 million in cash. No, I wouldn't. A billion. I wouldn't. What it's done for me and what it does for me and the feeling and the confidence, the relationships and everything, the integrity, the character wouldn't trade it for the world. And that's hard to communicate to a a non-practitioner, but it is the truth. And that's what I found. I found the truth. And it bitch slapped me across the face when I found it. A lot of people turn the other cheek and run for the cover. And some people go, you know what? I need to learn how to block that bitch slap and serve it when necessary. And I I, I signed up on the day. I never looked back. But what it's done for my life is incalculable. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't give you a number or a value because right. it, it is it is the most pungent thing in my life outside of family and friends. Right. It truly is. You talked about competing in the Pan Ams and stuff. Did you ever get nervous competing? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this: it's 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 it, 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 that's another thing about martial arts. It's it's you know when you when you do point sparring and taekwondo, it's the, the, it, it's it's nowhere near the same thing because you know as a practitioner, when you compete, especially way back then in the day in a jujitsu tournament, you pretty much know. If we had an argument, this is how it would end. You know, quite clearly, you know, in, in a in a point sparring tournament, you're like, well, I don't know what would happen in a real fight. This is a, this is so close to a game that, that it right. doesn't it, the real world application is so separated that that you can leave, you know, in the same thing with basketball. You know, I promise you, if a guy slam dunks over your head, you're going to still sleep good at night. If you're a quarterback, you throw five interceptions, you're bummed, but you're still going to sleep good at night. When another man pins you to the floor against your will and hyperextends your arm and you have to do this as a pleading gesture, would you please stop? Because (laughs) it will break. That is a level of humility that every man needs. And that will haunt you. It will haunt you. And especially, you know, back in the day, you know, I, I, I won some, 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 some big tournaments, but, but, but back in the day, it was all laymen that competed. I mean, when, when you compare tournaments that, that I won with today, it couldn't be f- further different. 
I mean, in the finals of the Pan Ams, the guy was in dental school. We we were, you know, it's like, I know it sounds really cool, but it ain't the Pan Ams that it is today. It was me, a dude that was in dental school in the finals, and we were chit-chatting. We all had regular jobs. You know, nobody, there was no professional jujitsu players, unless outside of the handful that came from Brazil, but Retenet A back in the day. But those were, it was just, it's such a different world. That, that, that there was no sponsored athletes. Nobody was doing strength and conditioning. You kind of just, I don't know, instead of going out and drinking the night before, I'll take two days off. That was it. <laughs> that was, your, that was your, your, your program. You know, it was just a completely different world. And, you know, back then, if you took your wife or your girlfriend to see you compete, she was scared. She was like, this is gnarly. This is crazy. Now, if you take them to watch you, they're like, oh, my God, that's so cute. <laughs> my, my little cousin, he's six. He does this, too. He's like, oh, yeah, it's the same thing. You're like, yeah, it's exactly the same. Thing. It's just a, it, it was a different world back then. And yes, I, I did get nervous, especially because back then, you know, no, nobody cross-trained. Well, at Hickson's, we didn't cross-train at any other academy right. at all. Like, you, you'd probably be excommunicated from the academy for that. And... So, you know, to, to, to carry that Hickson logo on your gi and, and to get beat, it, it, was, it was just really, I didn't want to carry that. I didn't want, I didn't want to lose coming right. from his academy. And also, you don't really know, is some, you know, say I get caught in an arm lock, is he going to respect a tap? Is he going to be a, a quick release, a slow release? It's... You know, back then, nobody really had a ton of experience, at least in, in the States. I mean, a, a purple belt was a ninja back then. Right. You know what I mean? It was just, <laughs> yep. it was, so, you know, anybody that tells you they, they, they never got nervous, they're full of shit. Because I came from team sports and sports where you, you, you slept at night. I mean, I would lose sleep at open mat if I got even presented with a hard time by a lower belt, it haunted me. It's just because the the repercussions of that realization have a real world impact. You real, you know, it's like, you know, part of what I wrote in the movie, you know, uh, um, uh, Dennis Quaid's monologue at the urinal. He says, you know, we've always created games to measure man. Yeah. You know, at first it was the the Olympics. The Greeks had pancreation. Let's try to measure a man without actually killing him. Well, that's what the Olympics were for. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's all a metaphor for fighting. Well, why don't you just fight? And the only (laughs) thing that you can do repeatedly on a daily basis is jujitsu, even sparring. You know, you go to the gym and you're sitting down. you, You can't. You can't throw for the fences. Right. You can't do that repeatedly on a daily basis. You can't yeah. without long-term damage. The only thing you can do is old school jujitsu, you know, with open palms. And that's, that's the closest that you can do on a daily basis for your entire life to see unarmed. If these two people met and now who's coming out with the goods. Yeah. And that kind of reality, you, 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 you look in a mirror and you go, out of a 10, he's a 7.6 and I'm a 7.4. It, it is a silent bow to, it, it is just an unspoken measure of a person's ability to fend for themselves. 
and it's so primal. There is nothing else out there like it that truly lets you go, this is what would happen. This, these are the tools that I'm going to go out into the world with. And, and I, I, I'm grateful to be welcomed into the fold of that way back in the day. Yeah. I imagine because of your outlook on it and ha- like that, I used to always joke that you were one of the main uh, reasons a lot of women got into jujitsu <laughs> because I kept meeting people uh, that would be like in your fan club or something like, oh, I do jujitsu. Yeah, Sean convinced me to do it. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have a very mixed audience now, but we started as a primarily four female jujitsu people podcast. What makes you think that that women should do jujitsu? Well, you know, there's a lot of a lot of insulting truth that'll be in my answer, but you know me, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> At the end of the day, I don't give a shit how well trained a hundred pound female understands how to sit down on a punch and really throw from the hip. She's probably only going to piss off a male. Now, here's the thing about about male on female violence. For men, there are guys that will walk down the street and just want to crack you for the sake of like, I don't like that guy. I'm just going to assault him. But everything a man wants from a woman involves this. I'm going to take something from her or I'm going to take her somewhere else. Very rare that a man just wants to come up and crack and render her unconscious and leave without nothing. What does that tell you? That tells you that almost a hundred percent of assaults on women involve grappling. Now fighting takes place in ranges. There's the leg range, there's the fist, there's the elbow, there's the knee. The only range that can be, ma- can be maintained indefinitely once it's achieved is the grappling range. That's it. For striking, somebody can close the distance, they can move away. It's mutual. Both people have a decision in that. But once you're grappling, you can insist that it stays with grappling. So I don't really care. This is going to offend plenty of uh, female Muay Thai girls. But if you're solely relying on to render a male unconscious with blunt force trauma, th- there, there is a cross section of people that you will succeed at. But if a, if a female knows leverage, positional dominance and mechanical advantage, that percentage goes way, way up. And every, every assault on a woman is not going to be striking. It's going to be grappling. If your goal is not to win medals in anything and it's truly to survive an altercation, this is the martial art for women to choose, even more so than men. For self-defense in a bar fight, really, it's a it's quick flinch. It's the first person to react because men fight very differently. It's just an ego thing. Like, I want to, boom, I want to drop him before he drops me. That's it. We're not grappling. Peace out. I'm buying the next round. <laughs> for women, it's very different. It's going to involve grappling and it's going to be a life or death situation without question brazilian jiu-jitsu end of conversation i know there's going to be some naysayers out there and some women that are like well no, i could ko a man and it's like rock on do your thing my opinion it's going to be jiu-jitsu if you know leverage you got more than a healthy shot so i know your kids do jiu-jitsu does your wife everybody does nice. now, <laughs> with, with my wife my wife is not the biggest fan of rolling but she knows the entire self-defense curriculum. And obviously she's rolled before she yeah. does, but she's not like, Hey, let me go to open mats and get all. <laughs> you know, she's just, 
there, there, there are some there are some people that, that are into that, some that aren't. Right. But my wife could teach class. That's great. Like she is, I always refer to her as like the Helio Gracie. Helio Gracie, you know, she watched Carlos for years and years. And finally, you know, Carlos was sick and the student came for a private. And he goes, ah, what the hell? I can teach. And he'd been watching. That's my wife. Yeah. My wife can coach my, my boys like as well as I can. And, and even things that I know, she doesn't even do that very well, but she knows exactly how to coach somebody to do it, <laughs> but knows the entire self-defense curriculum. You know, it's a, it's a whole family thing. You know, I have a training facility in my backyard. It's uh, it, this is something that, that we do on a daily basis. You know, I love that. I was listening to another interview that you had done and you were talking about actors and how like they either have it or they don't. It doesn't matter if they go to acting school. You can tell. Do you think that with jujitsu that it's something that is trainable for most people and accessible that they can actually develop some skill with it? You know, totally asking for a friend. Again, I, I am an open book and I'll tell you the truth. In acting, there's a reason that every acting school known to man auditions to get in because it's not, if you could teach it, you'd take anybody. But the actor's studio in New York, you got to audition to get in. Why? If you have the ability to teach somebody to do it and be good, why do you need to audition to get in? You shouldn't. All schools do it. It's full of shit. You either have the ability to regurgitate authentic looking emotions on cue with immediacy and accuracy, or you don't. I've never met somebody that, that cannot do it, that after a year of schooling, they're just, they're, they're just an amazing. I've never met that person. And I don't think you'll find anybody that goes, oh, yeah, well, my buddy, he, he couldn't. But now he, you're never going to meet that person. Jiu-Jitsu is just the opposite. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you the people I'm scared of. There's people at, at, at tournaments that I'm scared of. I wish I had something here. Hold on. These are the people that I'm scared of at tournaments. The people that are like. <laughs> <laughs> they tie their gi, their belt, belt. It's like a little too high. Those, those jujitsu nerds. Oh, my God. I'll tell you, the most technical people on a jujitsu mat are the people that don't show up with muscle. And, and, and it's women, because without a lever, without mechanical advantage, you will be overwhelmed. If you meet a woman that goes, no, pound for pound, I'm just as strong as a man. You're full of shit. I'll look both of <laughs> you in the eye and tell you you're full of shit. Unless you know levers and mechanical advantage, you don't have a shot against the same size man. But because you come to the table without the ability to band-aid a lack of power, that makes you. Necessity is the mother of invention. You will pay attention. You'll be like, I don't have a lot of strength to supplement the lack of a leverage. So you will spend the time out of necessity to perfect those levers. Women are some of the most technical jujitsu players I've ever met. Generally speaking, the more jacked and swollen a dude is, generally speaking, the shittier his <laughs> technique is as a whole. I don't give a shit. People are going to hear this. Like, no, I'm jacked and swollen. I'm still technical. Bullshit. <laughs> the most technical dudes are the skinny, frail, the Mayo brothers. Yes. Come on, yep. the Mendez brothers. Mm -hmm. These are tech, you know. Yep. I mean, look at Keenan. None of these dudes are jacked and swollen. Yeah, Mikey, you know? Mikey Musumeki, like. Just a little bitty yeah, guy. Exactly. Yep. That, that's a dude. That what a killer. Right. This dude's taking his glasses <laughs> off. You know, making sure his belt. And then he just assaults you. <laughs> but these dudes know levers. 
And I promise you, you're going to roll with all these dudes. and You're going to go, man, that dude's on steroids. It's like, yeah, you know, you're mistaking power for the use of a properly positioned lever. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, that's why I'm a firm believer that women really understand the specific exact placement of those levers. Without it, your jujitsu is going to be shit. It's going to be garbage. That's awesome. Um, Okay, so back to the movie for just a moment. So I've watched it twice. You saw I watched it again last night. <laughs> felt like it, you know, it was a good thing. So did Jen. And we didn't even uh-huh. talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've been telling all of our students that it's like mandatory homework. You have to watch it. <laughs> um, but several of the students have joked, and I'll do my best to not give away any spoilers. Um, but they've joked that like that this was partially about James. Obviously, it's not. But, you know, like because he grew up old school, the blindness, you know, like that kind of stuff the issue or issues of seeing whatever. Um, and then, uh, the wife in polka dots constantly driving a bug with a convertible top. They're like, is this movie? about?" <laughs> it's just so funny for the students to be like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of like good accuracies I want. And I, or that I like in the movie, but the smallest details. And one thing that I messaged you after the first time seeing it was even just that people didn't slap and bump like the fist, you know, like you didn't do that slap bump. Um, Cause that wasn't a thing when we started doing jujitsu in the late nineties, early two thousands, like we shook hands and we bowed like that was, that was what was normal. And so I really appreciated, you know, like none of the crazy moves that are in jujitsu now they, those weren't included in the movie, just little things like that. So I think you did such an amazing job, you know, just with the accuracy of that. Well, you know, I, I appreciate it, but, you know, I wanted to be authentic to the time. I mean, not only, I mean, that that's the jujitsu that's at my heart. Mm-hmm. It's old school, fundamental. We take blunt force trauma into every single position equation, but uh, th- th- that is my love. But also it's accurate for the time. There were no barambolos then. <laughs> there, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it was a very, you know, I think, you know, Jean-Jacques Machado said, you know, when you first start, the breadth of your knowledge does this and the better you get, it goes right back to this. And that's the jujitsu that I love. Those fundamental elements, you know, I I really think there's a mathematical equation to this. You know, it's it's like the Bruce Lee quote. I'm not afraid of a guy that knows, you know, 15,000 kicks. I'm afraid of the dude that knows one kick, but he's practiced it 15,000 times. Mm -hmm. You know, there there are, you know, I I, I make a joke all the time. You know, Henry Aikens, he's, I'm not joking when I say, I could teach him twice as much jujitsu as he knows. There's really nothing left that he can teach me. He doesn't need that to beat me. Right. There are things that I have seen. I could teach him 17 different incarnations from every position. And that dude will scissor sweep me from the closed guard. <laughs> it, yep. it, it, it's, I say that with all the humility in the world. I mean, this is, this is a dude that really doesn't know this expansive information of jujitsu. He doesn't need it. That guy has five options from every position, but he spent 25 years drilling those five options. So everything in Henry's arsenal is a 10. I'm a a third degree black belt. There's things in my arsenal that are purple belt level. There's things that are blue belt level. You know what I mean? But that's just the truth. There's nothing in Henry's arsenal it isn't elite black belt level. I mean, does he know a go-go plata? He's seen it on TV. <laughs> you know, 
it, it's it's like Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder. They're like, have you ever driven a Winston Cup car? He's like, well, I watched it on ESPN. You know, and then he gets behind the wheel of the car. I mean, that's that that's Henry. He doesn't need it. You know, and there's people online that are like, well, you know, I mean, when's the last time he's competed? Motherfucker, that dude competed at every level in absolute all up until Brown Belt. And then he had some injuries and now he's a coach. People are, you know, all this on the internet. Look, oh, look at Danner. Danner is widely regarded as the best coach on the planet Earth right now. That dude never competed a day in his life. I rolled with Danner. It's painful, and he will maul the best people out there. I've been in the blue basement when, when, when it was Japan against the U.S. during the Pride Days. I was there during that training in 02 or 03, and I saw Danner run through names that would blow your mind. So when people go, well, has he ever competed? Dude, I've seen him maul some people that you would fall on your knees and worship. And I've seen the same thing with Henry. That dude has mauled people that I was like, whoa, this dude should enter. It's, yeah, you know. Yeah. But uh, th- 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 it-, it depends on, you know, what is your mission statement? What do you want to do? But as far as being real world applicable, that dude knows everything that he needs to know. And yeah. that's the game that really holds my heart. Why have people that will like make game plans for competition or whatever? And they're like, it's boring. It feels like it's the same game plan. You know, I'm trying to go for Americana, whatever. And I'm like, that's what works. <laughs> I'm like, that's, you know, that's the jujitsu that works. Look at Hodger Gracie. He's going to tap you with a cross choke. Like that's, what's going to happen. You know, like Hodger, if, 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 if Hodger Gracie has the same mentality that we have at Hickson's at Hickson's Academy, you try to get the takedown. If you do, you clear the legs and you mount by mount. We mean front or back mount. If you get taken down, you're not looking for bottom half guard. You're looking for the closed guard to sweep or finish. That's it. There is no, I'm going to butt scoot towards a, a bottom entry, you know, across Ashi and then invert. It's like, there's, there's, you know, there's a very, very simple game plan. And look, within the confines of the rules, that makes sense. Right. You know, if, if you do get penalized for lack of engagement, well, absolutely. And blunt force trauma is illegal. Then I'd be remiss if I told you not to drop to your butt and get the party started. But it depends on your mission statement. Do you want to win IBJJF tournaments or do you want your your kid to be able to survive a playground altercation? Because sometimes those two are, are mutually exclusive. Now, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. The best tournament IBJJF dude is probably going to snap anybody's arm at a Chevron station that gives him shit. But if it's my kid, I don't even want him to get a bruise. I don't want him to receive any punishment at all. And those are completely different skill sets. If you're on the bottom hunting for a sweep and you're using two arms and two legs on one of your standing training part, then your face is wide open. Now you have a lot of leverage to tilt that person off base. So I would be remiss if I didn't teach that as a sweep from the bottom entry, but the self-defense version has other things to protect. So you're utilizing maybe two legs and your arms are doing a completely different job. If, you know, if anybody tells you, oh, it's the same thing, it's not, it's not. And as time goes on, the sport and the real world application is going grower. It's gr- the separation is growing and growing and growing. And every time that you drive to a Kroger or a Vons or a Ralph's or and you look in the strip mall and you see a Taekwondo and you look in and you laugh and you chuckle, that's the direction we're headed. It truly is. And, and don't get me wrong, the things that people are designing to take the lapel and double weave, those are <laughs> amazingly revolutionary ways to tilt your opponent off base. In the same way that you see taekwondo stance, they're leaning, but their hands are down by their waist. 
because my hips are forward and it allows me to put my leg out further. But as far as a real world application, you know, within the confines of the rules for point sparring, absolutely, that's the way to do it. But if you want to survive a, 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 a real fist fight in the gas station parking lot, you need a very, very different game plan. I was curious in the movie, do you feel like do you feel like you were able to tell the entire story that you wanted to tell with the finished product of the movie about jujitsu? You know, I, I'll say this, you know, no, nothing, you know, the, the entertainment industry is very, very, very unique. Um, and seeing your dream realized, you know, I wrote this story in bed by myself in 2007. And uh, it, 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 it was a very, very long fight because there were people that wanted to change a lot of things. And I didn't want to change those things. And uh, I had to really take it to the mat and go above some heads to, to get some things that I wanted in the film. And, uh, but it's, it, it, and I wouldn't have done it on any other film, but this film was that important to me. Um, it is, are, are there things that I would have liked to have done differently? Absolutely. I mean, there's no film I've ever done where I'm like, ah, I wouldn't change anything. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm not incredibly happy with it. Yeah. I am. I am. I am content and I'm happy with it. But there are things that uh, were like pulling teeth. You know, it, it, you know, with a script like that, they're saying, you know, could we get some spin and hook kicks in there? It's like, well, that, that's a, it's a different film. You know what I mean? It's a, it, it's, it's, but they allowed me to shoot fight scenes with very little dynamic movement. That's a hard sell. That's a very hard sell. You know, um, uh, there, there, there's so many aspects of it. Uh, there, there's so many lines in there that people disagreed with. You know, they're, 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 the, 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 the lead character has a, has a speech on meritocracy, which is, a, a, for whatever reason, is like a debated concept now. It's, it's, and, and we're talking about jujitsu. The mat is the ultimate meritocracy. Nobody gives a shit who your daddy is. Nobody's gifting a black belt. Well, hey, look, he, he's my boss's son, so let's just go ahead and promote. That's never happened on a jujitsu mat. And I truly believe that. Yeah. Everybody needs a little meritocracy in their life. Everybody needs to go home and go, nobody else did that but me. That's it. That's it. Everybody needs that. But to think that even, even statements like that were contested, and it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a metaphor for, for the current world, you know, but uh, I, I, I am content with it and I'm happy with it. There are things that I, I, I would have preferred to have left in or things, different angles that I would have liked to have shot. Um, but uh, I'm content with it and I'm happy with it. And I'm grateful that, that uh, you know, Force Lucas, a, 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 an oil company, a, a motor oil additives company, he's the one that read the script, believed in it and said, you know what? Go make this dream. That's awesome. And yeah. he believed in every line in the film. He's the one that I had to go, well, he's the big guy. And he agrees with that. And I'm very grateful for a company like that that said, no, make that film. Make it the way you want to make it. And he did that. And nobody's ever done that to me before. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Not even ever. Probably won't happen again. But Forks Lucas and his son Morgan Lucas, they read it. They believed in it top to bottom. And at every corner, whenever I was up against a brick wall, they came in and they said, nah, defer to that dude. Nice. And wow. You know, that's great. I'm grateful for, for immensely grateful. 
Yeah. It was so good. It really is. It's a very good movie. And I will tell you that to get my wife to watch it, I did not say, hey, I really want to watch this jujitsu movie. I had to go with the, hey, there's this new Dennis Quaid movie out. (laughs) (laughs) But she watched it. And even last night when I was watching it again, she came over and sat on the couch and like finished watching it with me. So that's, I mean, that's a raving review from her. (laughs) If if it's any consolation, I've pitched it too. I've been like, hey, Dennis Quaid's in it, man. I'm I'm, I'm in a new Dennis Quaid movie. I pitched it the same way. So, I mean, I get it. I'm like, it's a love story. You should watch this love story. (laughs) 100%. 100%. Whatever it takes. to my audience. Right. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. Um, We'd be remiss to not mention that you've also written a book. Um, You want to tell us a little bit about Jane, too? Uh, you know, at this stage in my life, pretty much everything is for my legacy and my kids. And, you know, I uh, I wrote a story I, I've written. I, I moved out to L.A. to be a writer, uh, truth be told. And then the acting kind of happened and, and and took me off course, not off course, because I, 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 I loved acting. I was in university and I was doing acting. And but but moving out to L.A. to be an actor just seemed a little low probability. And I'm I'm a. I'm not a control freak, but 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 I like I, I like things that are objective and not subjective. I didn't want to, for example, if I was in the Olympics, I wouldn't want to be, you know, a platform diver. That's that's re- result is depending on judges. You know, I want to be Usain Bolt. You either break the tape first, or you don't. And uh, I knew I could write. I knew I could move out there, wait tables. I knew I could save my money. I knew I could rent out a playhouse and I knew I could put on produce my own play my own writing. I knew that that was feasible. I could see that mathematical equation. I can't really see guaranteed the mathematical equation of going to an audition, having seven people go, you know, I like the other guy with the blue shirt better. I, 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 I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I don't, without sounding arrogant, I thought I was a damn good actor in university and I did killer plays and I, I got great reviews, but that just wasn't a guaranteed result. So I moved out. I wrote a piece of children's theater and I moved out to LA and uh, to pr- and produce, produce my own play. And that's how it all started. Then the acting thing, uh, an agent said, Hey, let me submit you on some commercials. And I was like, yeah, if it supplements my writing career, what the hell? And then the next thing you know, I was on a plane to go do young Indiana Jones. Very, very grateful. I mean, if, if, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't even be talking to you today. The reason that born a champion got made is because the acting gave me a platform and some semblance of, you know, D-level actor notoriety that I could get a film like that funded and financed. But that's just the truth. And so the acting took a backseat, but I've always written for periodicals, uh, for detour, details, uh, all kind of magazines and whatnot through the years. And the editor of Jane Magazine, Jane Pratt, read something that I wrote for details. And she goes, you know, why don't you write something for my magazine? And I thought, I have no idea what I could possibly lend to a woman's magazine. Because when I'm flipping through it, it's like the new shades of lipstick for summer (laughs) collection. I'm like, I don't know. You know, and there was something that happened to me when I was a kid. And I always knew I wanted to write it in a novel. And I said, you know what? First girl ever fell in love with her name is Jane. I said, I will write this as a short story for your magazine. And I did. And companies came out of the woodwork wanting to get the rights to it and when the, when the magazine came out and I knew I was on to something and uh, I never sold it because you know it, it, anything else that you write if it's for sale you'd sell it to the highest bidder but something that personal I just kind of you know and against you know people again again professionally people are like dude you should have sold it for that number or come on but it's just a little too and, and I knew that 
my, my dream of writing it in a novel would never equate the offers financially. But it's, it's the delivery mechanism that I wanted to realize. I wanted it to be in my voice. I didn't want to sell that general story and have it interpreted and bastardized potentially. And so I sat on it until five years ago. And I took, took a year off again and I wrote it. And uh, I took a year off. Uh, I spent three months writing it, but I, I barfed it out because it's all in my head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was just going to kind of sell it on my blog website. But then I sent it to friends to get blurbs. And lo and behold, the same thing happened. You know, next thing you know, it's published by the biggest publishing company, Hachette, on the planet. And very flattering. And But, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that if anything ever happened to me, you know, 90% of what I, what I want to teach my kids is in that book. There's a lot of what I want to leave my kids in the movie Born a Champion. Um, and so I wrote it and I stuck it out there. And really, really, I hope people love it and enjoy it, but it's really for my legacy and for my kids. And a, a lot like pretty much everything at this stage of my life, my martial arts now, you know, as a competitor, this was my martial arts career. It was, fuck you, this is for me. <laughs> You know, if I finish somebody like Flannery, dude, show me that sick arm lock setup after I'm like, yeah, yeah. After class, I will. After class, I was out the door. You know? <laughs> I, I'm not just teaching you some shit that, you know, but now it's this. Now it's this. And the same thing with, you know, my professional career. It's all about leaving things for my family and the most important people. I, I love everybody out there, but really, you guys are in second place to my family. So it, it, it's all to my family. If other people love it as well, I'm incredibly flattered, but that's, and it kind of took on, uh, you know, a very flattering, uh, place in my life. You know, it's a, people really loved it. And now consequently, I'm in the process of converting it for, for the screen. So, you know, that's, that's awesome. uh, nice. one of the next things on the agenda, but, you know, speaking of, speaking of one of the things going back to born and champion really quickly, the original title was Mickey Kelly. You know, the studio wanted to change to Born a Champion, which is something that they completely don't understand. The whole movie is that champions aren't born. Right. Nobody's fucking born a champion. <laughs> it's like it's what, it could not be more contrary to this story. It's like, and, and the fact that they didn't see it, oh, it's got a ring to it. You're like, nobody's, nobody's born a champion. Like, as a matter of fact, this is exactly what this is. This is about jumping over adversity right. and, and achieving it regardless of your deficit. This isn't like, oh, lucky sperm club, sweet. I'm going to go get a belt. <laughs> you know, but that's one example of things that, uh, but to me, to, to get it, you know, when, when a company like Lionsgate goes, we love that, we want to release it. You're like, okay, there are a couple of concessions I'm willing to make. Yeah, sure. You know? And, and uh, that's one yeah. of them, but uh yeah, born a champion. I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Kind of, kind of pulls back from his achievement. <laughs> thank goodness you were born that way. <laughs> yeah, he was born that yeah, way. Thank goodness. Did he train? He didn't need yeah, to. He was, he was born, born that, that way. way. <laughs> Dang it, I Came wish I'd have been born that way. <laughs> yeah. That'd been so nice. <laughs> I know. Okay, I have to ask because, you know, all of my friends and all of our listeners would kill me if I didn't. First, before I ask, I read somewhere that you and Norman were actually like best friends before you got uh, hired on for Boondock Saints. Is that correct? True story. Yep. That's awesome. That's very cool. We discovered Boondock Saints in probably like 
2001, I remember we had to get the tape from Canada (laughs) where we bought it from. And we, you know, watched every year. My husband, you know, James, um, but he hates rewatching movies, except in vaccines, we watch it every year. Um, (laughs) I've read both things that you absolutely would never do a third. And that if it were right, you would, you and Norman would be open to it. What is the thought on that at this point? We will see. <laughs> um, I'll take that. <laughs> you know, you know, he, you know, I, I, I always, you know, the, the entertainment industry, like any job, you know, it's funny because I, I, every film that ends, everybody takes out their phone and they're like, oh my God, we should definitely do lunch when we get back to LA. What's your number? Did, did, did they put it in? 99% of those numbers I've never fucking dialed. <laughs> right. My phone's never rang from the first person that ever called me after a movie was Rita's. And I, I knew he would. And if he hadn't called me, I'd have called him. It's like, it, 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 it's, it's like, I knew I met him in 94 and we were friends, but we got the movie part in 98. And I remember he called me, he's like, dude, they said that you're going to, are you, you going to play Connor McManus in this movie? Called? I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, I'm going to play Connor McManus. I was like, what? They're going to send us to, do they have any idea what they're getting into? Fuck. They're going to send us to Toronto with a pocket full of per diem and put us up in a hotel across the street from Toronto's most famous strip club. What? And expect us to show up on time? I mean, it was, and, and but, but he was, I, I met him in 94, man. It's, we've known each other that long. So then when we did the movie, it's like, we, 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 there was no need to like, Hey, what's your number? Let me call. It was like, and so, yeah, I, he's, he's a dude that I talk to all the time. I, I don't think, uh, you know, there's, you know, he had his motorcycle in my garage for the longest time. Um, <laughs> it's like, he's tr- truly, True friend. truly a dear friend outside of the industry, right. you know, and one of the most genuinely wonderful humans I've ever met in this industry. That is a genuine, authentic dude, top to bottom. I love that. So we end every episode with an on-the-mat tip and an off-the-mat tip. Do you have any tips for the audience? Uh, Off-the-mat, live consistently within your convictions. Don't stray. Love that. And on-the-mat, stay true to your mission statement. But I, I think on the mat, every, every practitioner alive should write down a mission statement. What are you trying to achieve? What is it that you want jujitsu to do for your life? Because there are a lot of different recipes out there that satiate a lot of different desires and needs. And write down your mission statement. A lot of people just jump into it. They're like, well, I heard jujitsu is great. And they go sign up on the corner. Especially now, the difference in styles in jujitsu is couldn't there, there's a chasm of separation between the most severe to, to the most sport. And there, there, there's, I, I would be remiss if somebody came and wanted to train with me and they wanted to win IBJJF tournaments. I'd say, I, I'm not, I'm not, you're going to have much more, you're going to have a higher probability of collecting points and winning IBJJF with a different style. And I'd send them to that Academy, but be true to yourself off the mat, live consistently within your convictions and on the map, write your mission statement. Know what you're chasing. Some people chase this thing called BJJ when they saw Hoist do it in 93, and that ain't what's on every street corner anymore. Yeah. So just, and, and there's nothing wrong with every different style. I mean, I meet people today 
you know, 35 year old men that go, man, I've never gotten a fight in my life. I just want to do tournaments. A, I don't have, I don't have any fucking idea how that happened. How the <laughs> fuck did you go that long and ne- not one fight? Never? You've never been cracked in the face? Like, I don't know. That's just like, that's crazy to me. I, I don't know how, like you went down all the right streets, man. Like, just, I'm not trying to make myself sound like a ruffian because I'm not, but holy shit, man. I mean, that was in double digits by the time I was eight, you know, it's just in Texas. That's just what happened, you know? So you know, you, there's all walks of life. There are people that are like, man, I would never, I have no desire to fight. I've never been in one, but I love the sporting aspect and I want to then stay true to that. There's a very different thing that you should pursue all enclosed in the same martial art called BJJ. So research it, know what you're chasing, because if, if, if you want to hunt, you got to pick the limping gazelle, you know what I mean? For the easiest catch. You know, but if you go to the wrong school and you're trying to do something, you know, know what you're after. Be selective. Educate yourself on the map. Very nice. Thank you so much for talking to us today. We had a great time. Yeah, thank you. Anytime, anytime. We appreciate you very much. Where can people find you and connect with you? You know, they can connect. All, all social media that's listed as me is me. You know, it's crazy. It's like I have people that are like, I mean, is this his social media manager's like, what, what am I fucking DiCaprio? No, I'm, sorry. I'm like, I'm like D-list motherfucker. I don't have some social media manager. I don't even know. Like who would that be like, Hey, could you post a picture of me playing chess? I want to look smart this week. I don't even know. It's just so bizarre to me. Um, all social media that's labeled as me outside of, you know, the occasional fraud, which we get shut down. It's me. I'm, I'm doing for anybody in Texas. I'm doing an event called uh, Jiu-Jitsu Palooza. It's going to be on a four acre uh, field with a huge swimming pool, with a high dive and a pool. It's going to have over 1500 square feet of mats outdoor covered. So there's going to be open mat rolling. There's going to be swimming. There's going to be food. There's going to be music. We're going to have swim and relay races. We're going to have pull up competition. It's going to be the jujitsu palooza games for every academy around Texas to come and join just kind of a brotherhood and a gathering. And we're raising money for the jujitsu heirloom, which is uh, what I started to give back to uh, sponsor kids that uh, couldn't normally afford a jujitsu program, provide them with geese, uh, curriculums, and actually scholarship uh, uh, in, in the schools. So uh, that's uh, what's next on the agenda. That's going to be May 22nd here, right in Houston, Texas. Awesome. But uh, all social media, it's me. In Instagram, it's SP Flannery. Uh, Facebook is just my name. Uh, Twitter is just my name. And uh, it's me. Anytime anybody's in Texas, shoot me a message. I'm around. Great. That's awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm AJ Klingerman everywhere you look. <laughs> I'm Brassy Broad Jen on Instagram. And that's pretty much where I'm hanging out. Yep. And together you can find us at Beauty and the Geek Podcast. And we will see you on, on the, the mat. mat.